Good morning. We are so glad to see you all. Welcome. Tonight there will be a hymn sing at 6.30. Today there will be a new Sunday school program starting. There will be four classes for high school students and for adults. The classes are as follows. Joy's Ladies in Book of Romans, Joe Fedora, Sermon Follow-Up, Dave Fedora in Romans, and Albert Irizarry, How to Read Your Bible. There are a, two notes of appreciation in your bulletin. Please note those. The annual Heart to Heart luncheon will be held on Monday, February 12th in the Fellowship Hall. Please sign up. Please check your bulletin for the regular weekly meetings. Like. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Father God, we're glad to join with brothers and sisters in this house of worship, and we rejoice in this opportunity to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and sing to the Lord from our heart.
please be seated. And Lord, we pray that that would happen this morning, that we would turn our eyes upon you. Lord, that we would look into your wonderful face, that we would behold your glory. Lord, that we would glorify that, that we would praise you for it, that we would look to be changed by it. Lord, I pray that everything that happens this morning would be honoring and glorifying to you. And Lord, we do pray uh, in, your, in your name, Lord, we bring these requests before you. We do praise you first and foremost for a great weekend last week for our teens up at snow camp. We do just uh, praise you for decisions that were made there. And Lord, we pray for uh, just our teens going forward, that you would continue to impact them, that you would continue to transform them and help them to just grow in a deeper and deeper relationship with you. We do just continue to pray for Word of Life, Lord, as they're going to continue having snow camps over the next month or so. Lord, we do just pray that you would continue to bless their camps, Lord, as new teens go up, as they can share you with more and more teens, Lord. We do just pray that lives would be transformed through Word of Life's ministry. Lord, we do just pray for uh, my family, Dana's family, Lord, as uh, we just mourn the passing of Dana's aunt, Lord, and we do just pray uh, that you would just surround us with your comfort and your peace, uh, the peace that can only come from you. Lord, we do pray for John Croce, Lord, as he's just been dealing with this eye injury. We pray for him as he's going to see doctors about it this week, Lord. We do just pray that you would uh, just help them to figure out exactly what's going on and to bring healing to him, Lord. We do just pray that uh, he would be able to start seeing clearly again, Lord, that, uh, that things would get fixed as they need to. Lord, we do just pray uh, for Linda Lay, Lord, if she's going to be having a procedure done tomorrow. We do just pray that that would go well, uh, that you would just uh, help everything to go smoothly during that. We do specifically pray uh, just for any reactions that she would have, Lord, that she wouldn't have any reactions, that uh, you would just help the doctors to use things that uh, don't produce reactions uh, in her, Lord. Lord, we do pray for Jeanette uh, Finlaw as well. She's going to be having uh, her cardiac procedure on Tuesday. We do just pray that that would go smoothly and effectively for her as well. Uh, we do pray for uh, Sarah Campbell, one of our missionaries, Lord. She's having uh, some kidney stones removed uh, on February 5th, Lord. We do just pray that that would go well, Lord, that everything would just be smooth with that process, uh, that it would just be a successful procedure. We do pray for uh, Sarah Jane Kiker's sister, Betty, uh, she, she's just had multiple strokes in these past couple weeks. We do just pray uh, for healing for her. We pray that the doctors would be able to take care of her and uh, just figure out exactly what's going on and, and just bring healing to her. We do pray for Arlene uh, Gertan, Lord, as she's just continuing her uh, chemo, Lord. We do just pray for her as she just deals with the different side effects and the different uh, discomfort and even pain that it brings, Lord. We do just pray that you'd be with her through the pain. And we pray ultimately, Lord, that it would just be successful as she goes through all of this. Lord, we pray the same thing for uh, Sherm Miller, Lord, as he's just uh, in the middle of his treatments up at the hospital uh, up at UPenn. And we do just pray that uh, you would uh, just deal with, uh, be with him during all of his discomfort and all of his uh, uh, pain and the side effects he's feeling. And Lord, we do just pray for healing for him. Lord, we pray that you would bring about healing um, just in his body and in his life. Lord, we do pray for uh, Bruce Sherman's uh, boss and friend, Ron, Lord, as he's also up at UPenn. Uh, Lord, we uh, do just pray for him for healing, Lord. I pray that you would uh, just help him to be able to come off the breathing or the feeding tube. Lord, we thank you that he's breathing on his own, but Lord, we do just pray that he can come off the feeding tube. And Lord, we do just pray for both physical and spiritual healing for him. We do pray for our missionary, Herb Gurdon, Lord, as he's uh, just been in the hospital and bedridden uh, for quite a while now, Lord, dealing with a lot of different 
things, Lord. We do just pray that you would be with the doctors as they take care of him, uh, help them to figure out exactly what to do to bring healing to him. And Lord, we do just pray for strength and encouragement for him in the meantime. And Lord, we do pray for uh, our missionary of the month of February, Lord, our new missionary, Skip Kite. And Lord, we do just pray that you would uh, bless him with his ministry, Lord. And, um, he does a lot in our area, in our community, and uh, just especially his ministry to children, Lord. We do just pray that you would um, just encourage him and strengthen him as he does that ministry. And we pray that you would especially bless him this morning. And Lord, we do just pray for all of us, Lord, as we continue in worship. We pray that our hearts and our minds would be focused on you and in glorifying your name. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's continue to worship and sing to God from our hearts. And as we sing, children in first through third are dismissed for youth church. Please stand. Please be seated. For our scripture reading this morning, please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began teaching them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, another week and Dana and I are still here. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're waiting, but we're excited. Um, but while we're here, we have this wonderful opportunity to open up God's Word and get into it. So let's pray this morning and we'll get into God's Word. Lord, we praise you for this opportunity that we have to read your Word, to talk about your Word, and to be impacted by your Word. And Lord, I pray that that's what would happen this morning, that it wouldn't just be um, reading, it would, just, it would be uh, looking for life change, Lord, changing our lives to fit what you have called us to be. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Many of you may have heard uh, this uh, analogy that Jesus gives about if you follow his words, it's like building your house on a rock that no matter what comes, you're going to be able to weather that storm. And oftentimes when we talk about that passage, we kind of refer to all of Jesus' teaching, and it can certainly apply to all of that. But what's interesting is that Jesus gives this, these words at the end of one long message that Jesus gives. The message actually covers three chapters in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's typically referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's one message that Jesus gives that covers a lot of different topics. And then at the end of all of that, this is what he says. If you hear these words and you put them into practice, that you're going to build your house on a rock. Well, we're going to be starting a new series this week. And this whole series is going to be covering the Sermon on the Mount. This one message that Jesus gives, it's going to cover three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I titled the series, Building on the Rock. Because as we look into the series, we're going to see things that Jesus tells us and instructions he gives us that if we build that into our lives, it's like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. So there's going to be a lot that we look at in this uh, series and a lot of different topics that Jesus is going to cover. Um, and we're going to jump into it this week, which is the first 12 verses uh, but that's what we're going to be covering is the Sermon on the Mount. Now, to give a little bit of context for this message, it all starts in chapter 5, verse 1. And this is pretty much the entire context that we're given. It says, Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up to the mountains, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So if you look back in chapter 4, Jesus starts uh, preaching to the people all around. He starts healing sick people, and, and this crowds start to follow him. 
He starts to get this huge following, a a literal physical crowd that's just following him. And then here in chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus sees all of those crowds, and then he backs away from it all. It says he goes up onto a mountain, or another translation of that word would be just a large hill. And if you look in that area, it's probably there's a lot of large hills in that area. So Jesus kind of pulls back to that large hills, and it doesn't say that the crowds come to him. It says his disciples come to him. And Jesus kind of pulls back from the crowds for a second, and those who truly want to follow Jesus, those who want to be his disciples, come before him. Now, we don't know if this is just the 12 disciples, or if the disciples is more of a broad term to refer to a handful of people that wanted to actually follow Jesus, but regardless of how you, how you view that, these are people who want to learn from Jesus, who want to know how can they change their lives based on Jesus' teaching. This isn't just people looking for healing. This is people looking for teaching. And that's what Jesus is going to do for them. He starts in verse 2. He says he opens his mouth and taught them. And then it starts, and he's going to speak. If you have a red-letter Bible that records Jesus' words, you'll see it's red for like the next three pages. Because Jesus is gonna, just going to talk with them. He's just going to teach them over the, ne- over the course of the next couple chapters. And that's kind of the context of what we're going in. And Jesus starts the whole thing by talking about the idea of blessing. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, is the idea of blessing. He uses this word nine times over the course of the next uh, 12 verses. The Greek word that's used here is the word makarios. Um, It doesn't have like a single really good English translation. We typically translate it as blessed or happy. But what the word means is really even more broad than that. It means just, I hope life goes well with you. It's this like, uh, life, goodness follows you along. You know, everything just kind of lines up in your life. And Jesus talks about this idea, and he, we use the word blessing to describe that, or blessed to describe that. And if you ask the normal person on the street, hey, would you like to be blessed today? I think most people would say yes to that, right? Most people say, yeah, of course, I would love to be blessed. But as Jesus starts talking about the people who are blessed and the type of person who is blessed, what we're going to see is it's not what the world thinks about blessing. You know, if you ask the normal person, hey, what would it mean to be blessed today? They're going to say, probably get a lot of money or, you know, have my relationships uh, really go well, you know, get, find the person, the love of my life, and be able to, you know, have a family with them, or something along those lines, have a nice big house, have a nice car. But those are not the things that Jesus talks about when Jesus gets into this topic of blessed. In fact, he's going to say things that are actually very counter to the world's idea of blessing. So we're going to start into it today. We're, there's eight different uh, blessings that Jesus gives out, so we're going to cover eight things today. We're going to move somewhat quickly through it, but I've kind of grouped them into three categories. The first one is blessings for the lowly. If you read, uh, starting in verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So the first three blessings that Jesus gives out are all really kind of revolving around the same basic idea, and that's people who are lowly. People who are not high and uh, exalted and lifted up, but people who are simple and meek and humble. So we're going to kind of walk through that. The very first thing that Jesus says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now what does it mean to be poor in spirit? The Greek word for poor that they use here is the word lacking. So typically it refers to lacking in money. 
But here Jesus is not talking about lacking in money. He's talking about lacking in our spirit. Now, we don't really like that idea of being lacking in spirit. What does that actually mean? And what it means is that we have this understanding that our spirit is not enough, that we need help. A commentator, Craig Blumberg, says it like this. He says, this is an acknowledgement of one's spiritual powerlessness and bankruptcy apart from Christ. And that's how Jesus starts with it, is blessed are those who realize how much they don't have by themselves, how much their life is missing within themselves. People who realize they need something more. And he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who realize that there's something lacking are the people who go looking for something. And that's where Jesus comes in. He says, if you, if you know you're lacking, that's when I get involved that I can come with you. And I can save you and I can rescue you. And I can bring healing to you. There's a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18 about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee comes before the temple and starts praising the Lord. says, Lord, thank you that I am not a sinner. Like some of these other things, he starts naming different sins. And then he says, and even this tax collector, I thank you that I'm not like that. That I do so many good things. That I'm so much better than them. And then Jesus says, and then the tax collector comes up. And these are the words of the tax collector. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, that tax collector is the one who walked away justified. That tax collector is the one who got it. The Pharisee did not. Because he realized that in his own self, in his own spirit, it was not enough. He was poor in spirit. And when you're poor in spirit, then you can be great with God. And he can forgive all of your sins. Then Jesus moves on to the next one. He says, blessed are those who mourn. You know, this is more than just, you know, your casual crying. You're crying at a movie or because you stubbed your toe. Um, having children, I'm used to hearing crying three, four, five times a day. But this is something more than that, right? It's something more than just crying. It's this deep sense of mourning. You know, when something difficult really comes along in your life, the passing of a loved one, the bro- a broken relationship, a difficult health diagnosis, Or maybe the sin that you see in the world around you just brings you to mourning. And maybe sometimes the sin that we see in ourselves brings us to mourning. You know, most most time we don't want to be in mourning. Most of the time we don't like this idea of mourning. We don't want to be there. We want to be happy. We want to be everything going well. But Jesus says, blessed are those who are mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. That's hard. You know, we don't like that idea. But why does Jesus say that? Why does Jesus say that they're blessed? And the answer is because he says they will be comforted. That when we mourn, when we realize how difficult things are, and it grieves us, God says, I will come alongside of you and I will comfort you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have. We ourselves are comforted by God. Who's the one who comforts us? God. 
And this, this matters, right? This matters in the middle of our mourning, in the middle of the difficult situation, in the middle of when life just doesn't seem to be working out. Oftentimes we, wanna, uh, we want help. We want someone to come alongside us. Well, we have God. And he comes alongside us. He says, I will be the one to comfort you. And then here in this verse, we get this beautiful thing where it says, God then says, so that you may be able to turn around and comfort other people with that comfort that I've given to you. And that's what we do with each other. We comfort each other as God comforts us. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn because they're going to be comforted. Jesus keeps going. He said, blessed are the meek. To be meek means to be humble and gentle. Now, meekness is not weakness. I think a lot of times in the world today, we view people who are meek or gentle or humble, we view that as weakness. We view that as, you know, you need to be more assertive. You need to be a little bit more dominant, a little bit more confident. But Jesus says, no, that's, that's not what meekness is about. Meekness is not about how strong you are. In fact, somebody can be very strong, they're very powerful, but can also be very meek and humble. A good picture of meekness to me is a horse. And horses are like these beasts that are just full of muscle. If you've ever like seen a horse, it's just like full of muscle and power. I would not want to get into a fight with any of them. But at the same time, if you take the time to train a horse, which not all horses are, but if you take the time to train a horse, that great powerful horse can be ridden by a six-year-old or a seven-year-old because it can be gentle. In the midst of its strength and power, it can choose to be gentle and lowly. And that's, that's the picture that we get of meekness. And Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What's interesting is this is actually a, almost a direct quote from the Old Testament. In uh, Psalm 37, verse 1, it says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Jesus is saying those who are meek, those who are humble, they're going to get something. They're going to inherit something. They're going to inherit the earth. God lifts up the humble and carries them. So what does it mean for us to be humble? A good picture that the Bible gives us of humility comes from Philippians chapter 2. And it's talking about Jesus Christ. It starts in verse 3. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And then it paints this picture of Jesus Christ. It says, that although he existed in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he came to this earth to dwell as a person. And then it says, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we get this picture of Jesus who, although he is God, he came down all the way down to earth, not because he wasn't powerful, not, he didn't give up his strength, but he came down and was humble. And that humility carried him all the way to the cross. And then in Philippians chapter 2, it says, have this mind in you that is also in Christ Jesus. We're called to be humble the way that Jesus was humble. And you know, when we're meek, Jesus, the Bible says that we will be lifted up. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That God comes along and those who are humble, God says, I will lift them up. So we're called to be humble. And that's, that's why they're blessed. Meek people are blessed because the Lord will be the one to lift them up, not themselves. So when we have humility, when we carry ourselves with humility and meekness, 
God says, I will bless you. So that's the first three. The first three are kind of about being lowly. And then Jesus continues on with his blessings and he talks about blessed are those who are righteous. And he starts talking about some of the actions that we can do. Starting in verse 6, this is what Jesus says. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So Jesus continues, and the first thing he says is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now notice, Jesus does not say, blessed are the righteous. Blessed are those who do everything right, who have life all together, because the fact of the matter is, none of us would qualify for that. But Jesus says, blessed are those who strive for that who hunger for that, who thirst for that. If you've ever been in a position in your life where you haven't eaten for a very long time or you haven't drank for a very long time and you just get really desperately hungry, that you just really crave something, Jesus says that's how we should be towards righteousness, that we should crave righteousness, that we should crave it within ourselves. Now, why does that bring about blessing? Jesus says if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied, is what he says. That if you yearn for righteousness, that we'll be satisfied. How do we get satisfied from, for, with righteousness? How do we obtain that? And the answer is it comes through God and through Jesus Christ. That if we look for righteousness, we'll find it in Him. Jesus living the life without sin. Going to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. That if we believe in Jesus Christ, we can have our sin forgiven and we can have righteousness with God again. Not by anything that we do, right? We already talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that we can't do it ourselves, but look to Jesus for our righteousness. And then we yearn for that in life. We continue to pursue God every single day. Continue to pursue putting away our sin and pursuing righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for that as we live our life. And Jesus says if we do that, we're blessed because we're going to be satisfied with it. Jesus continues on. He says, blessed are the merciful. Now, what's interesting is, out of everything we've talked about so far, this is the first one that actually relates to how we interact with other people. So far, prior to this, it's all been talking about kind of us ourselves, being poor in spirit, being meek, being uh, hungry and thirsting for righteousness. But this is the first one that actually is uh, interpersonal, how we deal with other people around us. And Jesus says, blessed are those people who are merciful to those around them. What does it mean to show mercy to those around us? To overlook an offense, to forgive and not give people according to what they deserve, but give people something they don't deserve. We need to be people who are quick to forgive others. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Now, I think that this topic especially is something that is very anti what the world has to say today. The world says if somebody does evil to you, if someone does you wrong, then you should pay them back. You should get revenge. In fact, it's all over TV and movies. There's constantly this idea of revenge in TV shows and movies. In fact, there's even a TV show called Revenge. And it's all about getting revenge on the people who wronged us. And there's something in us that kind of likes that a little bit because we say, you know, that person deserved what's coming to them. We like this idea of like, uh, we're giving them what they deserve. But Jesus says, 
We're not supposed to give people what they deserve. We're supposed to be merciful in the face of people who wrong us. We're supposed to be merciful and forgiving for those who've done evil against us. Now, what does that look like in practice? If you look down just a little further in Matthew chapter 5, down to verse 39, Jesus gives a little bit of a picture of what this looks like. And he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So what does Jesus say about if people wrong us? That we should open ourselves up to being wronged again. We should be merciful in the face of that. Now this is, to me, an extremely hard thing when I start actually looking at my life, right? Because I've been there, and I've had conversation after conversation with people who've told me things that have happened to them in the past, things other people have done to them, and I, I stand there saying, I can't believe anyone would do that to you. And, you know, that person that I talk to oftentimes is very upset about it. And in my mind, I'm like, well, that's kind of justified, right? They're kind of upset for a good reason. But in the middle of that, I ask myself this question. What would mercy look like? What would radical mercy look like in the face of someone who has truly wronged us? And that's a hard question to answer because I've been there. I've been wronged. I've been upset about somebody who wronged me. But what would mercy look like? in the middle of that. And why are we supposed to be merciful? Why are we supposed to even be merciful in the first place? And the answer that we're given is right here in this verse in Ephesians chapter 4. It says we're supposed to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave us. The reason we're supposed to be merciful is because God has already shown us mercy. That's even what Jesus says here. He says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells this parable of a master who had uh, a servant under him who owed him a large sum of money, like years' worth of money. And the master called that servant before him. And the master said, you need to pay me back the money. And the servant fell at his feet and said, I can't do it. Please be merciful to me. To me. And the master said, all right, I'm going to forgive you of that debt. I'm going to be merciful to you in this moment. And then what does that servant do? He goes out from there and he finds another servant who owes him just a small little bit of money. And he grabs that servant. He starts shaking him. He says, you need to pay me back. The, the other servant does the exact same thing. He falls down and says, please be merciful to me. I can't pay you back. But is the first servant merciful? No. He says, you're going to pay me back. I'm going to throw you in prison until you pay me back. And word of that gets back to the master. And the master says, why on earth are you doing this? I forgave you such a large sum. Why will you not turn and forgive someone else? Now, what's the point of that parable? It shows, first and foremost, how much God has forgiven us. God, as the Master, has forgiven us such a great sum. All of our sin laid out before Him. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, God has forgiven. And it says, okay, so how are you going to forgive each other? And I know that people have done a lot of evil things to us in our lives. That's just happened. But God says, I've forgiven so much more. I have. When I've forgiven you of all your sins, I've forgiven such a great sum. So now forgive each other. Be merciful to each other. That's what Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Jesus then continues on. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, what does it mean to be pure in heart? It means to be clean without sin. This is something we kind of talked about last week in Haggai. As we finished up Haggai, we talked about having clean hands before the Lord. It's interesting, clean hands and a pure heart are actually put together uh, in Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, where it asks this question, who, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He shall stand in His holy place. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. For those of you who were at prayer meeting this past Wednesday, we talked about this particular passage uh, because it really impacted me in my thinking that, you know, who stands before the Lord? Who gets to stand before Him? He who is clean. He who has a pure heart. He who doesn't have sin in their lives. That's hard because when I actually look at my life, I see sin. I don't see a pure heart. I see a heart that's pulled away from God constantly over and over again. How do we have a purity of heart? And the answer comes in what we've been talking about a couple, with a couple of these so far. We find it in Jesus Christ. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 7, we get this verse. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Yesterday during Fast Car, uh, Tiago, our speaker, actually shared this exact verse to the children, that we can have this cleanness, we can be white as snow, and that comes from Jesus Christ cleaning us, washing us, so that we can be white as snow. How do we have purity of heart? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus continues and says, blessed are the peacemakers. This is another one that talks about our interpersonal relationship with other people. Are we peacemakers? Are we people who make peace in the world around us? See, the world around us likes to have division. It likes to have animosity and fighting and harsh words. You spend enough time on the internet, you'll see that pretty quickly, but you also see it in everyday life. There's people who like to take sides and vilify their opponent. They say, that person thinks the wrong way and this is why, and fights break out, wars break out, and people don't pursue peace. So what does that look like to pursue peace? It means building bridges instead of burning bridges. It looks like taking the hard road to have hard conversations with people that are going to bring about peace. Just this week I was talking with someone who was telling me a story about something that they did to pursue peace between two people and it involved having a really difficult and uncomfortable conversation. And sometimes that's what happens. But if you have the right heart as you approach it, and you don't approach it looking with ammunition to fire at somebody, to attack somebody, but instead you come with them in gentle in meekness and humility, and you say, I want to build bridges, I want to find peace in this situation, we can at least pursue peace. Now, peace isn't always possible, right? There are going to be people in our lives that we pursue peace with that we can't get there because they don't want to have peace. But we have to do everything on our end to build as many bridges as we can, to be as much of a peacemaker as we can. Because Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the fighters. And why does he say, blessed are the peacemakers, by the way? What's interesting is, this is the very first time in so far this entire section that he actually refers to how other people will, will talk about you. He says, the peacemakers will be called sons of God. That that's how people will talk about them. If we carry the life of a peacemaker, other people will notice. They'll say something's different about that person. 
They start calling them something special. Now, people may not refer to you as a, a, a son of God. Like, that's a very specific term. But people notice something's different about us if we pursue peace. So that brings us then to the last one. The last one is uh, almost in many ways the hardest one for me. Uh, blessed are the persecuted. Now this is the one that Jesus actually spends the most time on. He kind of elaborates on this one a little bit more than any of the others. Starting in verse 10, this is what Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus ends this discussion by saying, blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, this isn't just any persecution, right? It's not like, uh, oh, life's out to get me. I'm, I'm being persecuted. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then he says, uh, in the next verse, he says, those who uh, speak evil against you falsely on my account. So these are people who are persecuted, not just for the sake of being persecuted, but persecuted for Christ, persecuted for their pursuit of Christ. And if we, had, if we are, are honest and admit it, that's what the Bible says will happen to those who follow Christ. Persecution is an honest reality for anyone who pursues Christ. And the world would say, get away from being persecuted. Go get, go get the authorities involved. Try to get out of it. Try, try to get, get yourself out of persecution the best you possibly can. And Jesus says, no, blessed are the persecuted. And then in verse 11, I love that Jesus actually turns this conversation directly towards us. He says, blessed are you when people persecute you. You know, there's a lot of places in the world today that Christians are truly and honestly persecuted. And there have been throughout all of history since the beginning of time, people who follow God have been persecuted. All the way back to Abel. You can start with that one. It's the very first persecution of someone who's following after God. And it carries down all the way to today. And in many places in the world today, people face true persecution, true life-threatening persecution for their faith. But what about here in America? Now, we don't necessarily face life persecution or physical threats like that. But it's interesting here that in verse 11, Jesus does broaden it, right? He, it, he broadens it to people who revile you and utter evil against you. And I think that that is seen here in America today. Christians are spoken very negatively of. And oftentimes the result of that is, even in, in many practical places, a lot of people are scared to even admit that they're Christians. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of that. Be, be bold about that. Admit that you're a Christian. And, you know, if people speak poorly about you because of that, well, guess what? You're blessed in that moment. That God, Jesus says you're blessed in the moment that people speak ill about you for your faith. And Jesus gives two reasons for why you're blessed in that moment. The first reason, he says, you shall have a great reward in heaven. Those who are persecuted get a reward in heaven from God. And the second reason that Jesus gives is, he says, you get to take your place with those who've been persecuted before you. He says, as uh, they, they had persecuted the prophets who were before you, when we face persecution, we get to take our place with all the believers throughout history 
who face that persecution too. And we get to take our place with them. Now, we won't necessarily face all that persecution, although we might someday. That very well might come along. But the question that we have to ask, and this is actually going to lead into next week, I'd say that this passage, or this blessing actually sets up the very next week. The question is, how do we live out our faith? Are we living out our faith scared of persecution? Or are we living out our faith ready and accepting of any persecution that's going to come? Because Jesus says in the midst of that persecution, we're blessed. So that's the blessings that Jesus gives out. That's this whole section. This section is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes by some people, but it's really just the, the attitude, the mindset that we have of people who are going to be blessed by God. And what we see in these things is not what the world would say. It's something very counter to what the world would say. In fact, uh, I was reading this week uh, a little a statement that was put out by Ray Pritchard about this section and this is, what Ray, this is what Ray Pritchard said. He says, The world says, Blessed are the strong, for they shall rule the earth. Blessed are the mighty, for they shall rise to power. Blessed are the rich, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the influential, for they shall be favored. Blessed is the popular, for they shall be loved. Blessed are the gifted, for they shall be followed. Blessed are the beautiful, for they shall be admired. But Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need to ask ourselves, one simple question as we close out today, and that's where are we looking to in life for happiness, for contentment, to be blessed? Are we defining it by the things that we see externally? Are we defining it by who we are as people and how we pursue God? So let's pursue God because that's the people that Jesus calls blessed. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we praise you that you think differently in the way the rest of the world defines success and blessing. Lord, you bless those who are low. Bless those who are humble. Bless those who pursue righteousness, those who are peacemakers, are merciful people, those who are pure in heart. And Lord, you bless those who suffer for you. Lord, I pray that that would be our mindset, that we would strive to be people like all of these things, that we would pursue righteousness, that we would be humble, that we would be lowly, that we wouldn't be scared of persecution when it comes our way. Lord, I pray that we would be people who love and desire you first and foremost. Lord, I pray that we would be people who look to you to define happiness and blessing in life and not look to the world around us. Lord, I pray that we would find it in you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. In preparation for communion, let's sing this song not only in remembrance, but also in rejoicing of all that Christ has done for us. Please stand. Lord.
Please be seated. As we take time now during our service to gather around the communion table, we remember what Jesus Christ did. That although we were poor in spirit, that we weren't able to save ourselves, we were not pure in heart, that Jesus loved us anyway. He came to this earth to die on the cross so that we could have righteousness, that we could have purity of heart. He showed us mercy. As we talked about all those things during the message, I constantly was being brought back to this moment, the cross, and what Jesus has done for us. That's the defining part of all of this. And this is what we're going to take time right now to remember. As we celebrate communion, this is not something that saves you. It's not something that makes you right, righteous with God. It's something that we do to remember what God's already done for us. This is open to anyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. We'd love to have everyone be a part of this, but we do take time right at the beginning to ask that you check your heart, that you think about your life and take a moment and just pray to the Lord. Confess any unconfessed sin and just turn to Him now as we take time to remember communion. So let's do that right now. Dave, can you pray for the bread? Father, we now think of this bread, this bread that represents your body that was shed for us. 
Lord, thank you for doing what we could never do, for we could never be righteous on our own. However, you have died, the righteous one, so that we can be seen righteous before God. Thank you. Jesus said, 
This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was over, Jesus took the cup. Joe, can you pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did on the cross for us. Each and every one of our sins were paid for at you point at that point in time. We thank you for that. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your love. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And now let us pray in the words our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. With Christ in our lives, we are blessed. And we can say, it is well with us. Please stand as we sing.
Christ, it can be well with our souls. What about you this morning? Is it well with your soul? If, it, if there's something going on in your life that you need someone to talk to, you need someone to pray with you, we'll have people up front who would love to pray with you, to talk with you. This is what we want. We want things to be well with us. And this is how Jesus defines it here in His Word. And Lord, as we go out today, Lord, I pray that we would live people who have it well with our souls, have blessings from You. And Lord, we see what that looks like here in this passage. Lord, we pray that we would be the type of people, that we would pursue the right things in life, and that we would strive to be more and more like You. We pray these things in Your name. Amen.